tongues, are they what we see in the modern hyper-charismatic movement uh, where everybody has their own personal tongue uh, with, with so many different accents and so many different sounds? Uh, or are we talking about real world, real translatable, verifiable languages that somebody on the other side of the planet who lives in a different culture and speaks whatever language would be able to understand whether they're a believer or not. They would say, hey, this person is speaking in my own language, even though that person who is speaking the tongue has never learned that language. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Okay, friends, welcome back. Uh, Last week, we started this series, and I'm pretty certain we're going to finish today. Uh, In fact, by hook or by crook, we're going to finish today. I just, it's going to (laughs) happen. And so, uh, last week, we started by talking about this modern phenomenon. Uh, And yeah, by the way, it is a modern phenomenon of speaking in tongues. Uh, We talked about the biblical definition of tongues. How does the Bible describe tongues? And we went back to Acts chapter 2, which is the only chapter in the Bible, the only point in the Bible where it really defines what tongues is. And we found as we went through uh, that when the apostles spoke in these tongues, uh, there were people from, I'm just going to throw this out there, probably about 15 to 20 different uh, regions, different languages, who were there uh, in Jerusalem during Pentecost. And when the apostles started speaking in tongues on Pentecost, they all heard uh, the apostles speaking in their own native languages. In other words, these were unbelievers, and they were hearing the gospel in their own language. Uh, tongues, according to the Bible, is a supernatural Holy Spirit ability to speak in another language that you have never learned before. Okay, and and Luke went out of his way to list all these different regions that these Jews were coming in from, and basically the different languages that were represented there. Uh, these people were able to hear the apostles speak in their own languages. So where uh, do modern-day hyper-charismatics and Pentecostals, there's so many different groups, even Mormons. Some Mormons claim to be able to speak in tongues. Where do they get this idea? Where do they get the idea that it is anything other than a real language? Well, um, it's certainly not from the Bible. Uh, There's certain scriptures that might possibly crack open the door a tiny little bit. But again, as soon as you look at Acts chapter 2, that door is slammed shut and hard because it can't be anything other than what the Bible describes. Um, Now, also one thing we did mention last week, and it's worth 
repeating uh, early Pentecostals. I mean, all the way from uh, the, the the apostolic age of you know the Book of Acts, all the way forward until just a couple hundred years ago, uh, tongues was believed to be nothing more than the supernatural ability uh, given by the Holy Spirit to speak in another language that you've never learned before. Uh, that's that was what it's always been. Uh, it wasn't until uh, Pentecostals who believed that they uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that they believed that, uh, uh, you know, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, but they believed that they had uh, the gifts that the Lord had poured out upon them, these gifts of the Spirit, being able to prophesy, being able to speak in other tongues, uh, being able to heal people and raise the dead, these types of things uh, they went to foreign countries on mission trips, <clears throat> and good on them. I mean, praise God, we need more people out there who are willing to risk life and limb to bring the gospel to uh, different parts of the world, right? <laughs> I guess we need missionaries right here in the United States nowadays, uh, as bad as things are getting. But whatever the case, um, they did this, and they stepped out in faith, and they believed because, uh, you know, Pentecostals believe that they've, they uh, are empowered by the Holy Spirit in special ways and given gifts, they believe they would be able to speak in these native tongues, having never learned them before. And they quickly learned that the tongues that they believed they were speaking were not uh, any verifiable language. Uh, later on, uh, linguists started really getting onto this as well, as well, and listening to recordings and trying to decipher uh, these various tongues. And they also arrived at the same conclusion: this is not; it is not a language, even not even a language that perhaps uh, we're not aware of today. It's just there is no information behind the random stringing together of syllables. There's no actual uh, information behind it. It's not a real language. Uh, and so in that, <clears throat> modern Pentecostals and, and hyper-charismatics, those who claim to be able to speak in tongues, have retreated to a new position of saying, well, then it must be a private prayer language, kind of like what Paul mentions uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. That or perhaps it's uh, tongues of angels or some kind of language that uh, only you and God can communicate back and forth with. Um, and as we uh, look at the scriptures today, and of course just taking into account what we see in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, where tongues is clearly defined. And when you look at the other points at which um, tongues are spoken about in the scriptures, there are many common elements between those scriptures. And you can tell that we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about this glossa, tongues. And as you inspect each of these scriptures, you come to find out that the writer, uh, for example, uh, Paul, who's writing in 1 Corinthians, that's where we're going to be dwelling mostly today, is talking about the exact same thing that Luke was talking about in the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 2. It's also the same uh, tongues that John is talking about in the book of Revelation. So, you know, it, it, the Bible is written by the Holy Spirit, right? It's, it's written by men, 
but as they're being moved along by the Holy Spirit. It's God-breathed. And uh, God's not messing with our heads and equivocating on this word tongues and saying the gift of tongues in one sense is being able to speak in another language that you've never learned. And yet in another sense, it's, a, it's the ability to speak in gibberish uh, that cannot be deciphered by any man. Uh, and rather, it's some kind of language of angels, which is absurd in one sense, because that would be to say that... Um, Every single person out there that's speaking in tongues, when you listen to them, there's not a single one of them that's speaking the same thing. Okay, so that would be like saying that there are literally hundreds of thousands of different angelic tongues. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's, that's nonsense. That can't be. Uh, or that it's some kind of special way to communicate with God, which I guess... Uh, some questions pop into my mind then. Uh, first one and foremost would be, why? Why would you want to communicate to God in a way that you have no idea what you're even saying? Okay, you have no clue what you're even praying because, hey, let's face it, when people are speaking in tongues, they have no clue what they're saying. Uh, secondly, why? Why would you even want to do that? And thirdly, how could anybody call that any kind of a miraculous uh, a gift or power from the Holy Spirit? I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, even the pagans are able to do that. Any Okay, listen. Anybody can start practicing uh, stringing together random syllables and maybe even add a little accent to it. Uh, take your pick. You know, any world accent will do. And anybody can speak in tongues. Uh, you know, for for three easy installments of 1995, I will teach you how to speak in tongues. But uh, <laughs> sorry about that. So, you know, it, it just it doesn't add up. I'm sorry. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. Well, we're going to get even um, more intimate with this particular subject. And we're going to look at some more scriptures. So flip when, flip over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 4. First of all, there's a lot of people today, and this is a little overlap uh, from my other series on tongues, but just to kind of make a couple points here. And there's some some uh, things that are mentioned in this passage that are worth mentioning today too. Uh, but there's some people that believe that um, if you're saved, then you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, that, that so far, premise number one, uh, makes sense. But then there's equivocation that takes place, and that that is that this baptism of the Holy Spirit must entail uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that doesn't necessarily follow. And then thirdly, all who are baptized in the Holy Spirit must speak in tongues. Therefore, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. So like I said, if you guys want to be saved, you can contact me. And for three easy payments of $19.95, I will teach you how to speak in tongues. <laughs> okay, sorry. I really apologize. Anyway, um, so going into verse 4, uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. 
But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For, check this out, for till one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. So what's, so, what, what's being said there? Uh, to one is given by the Spirit the word of wis- wisdom. In other words, not everybody who is given these gifts is given the word of wisdom, but only some. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. So does everybody get uh, words of knowledge by the same Spirit? No, apparently not, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that was verse 8. Verse 9 goes on, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So not everybody has the ability to heal. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, uh, to another, here we go, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So uh, right there that makes it very clear that not everybody will speak in tongues. That And that right there, friends, is assuming that I accept uh, the idea that tongues are for today. Uh, I lean in the other direction. I don't see any evidence. Uh, let me put it this way. I have never, uh, to my knowledge, seen anybody speak in the biblical tongues where it's like, oh my goodness, that really sounds like he's speaking in another language. It's always been hokey pokey. Uh, very contrived, very made up, very synthetic, man-made. Um, it, it's it's never been, you know, I hear somebody and go, whoa, that sounds like Chinese, or oh my goodness, that person is speaking in French, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, something else that you should notice here in verse 10 Uh, Let me read it again. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Well, some uh, who are defending this position that tongues are for today and that they speak in tongues, they'll point to this portion of the scripture, uh, verse 10, where it says diverse kinds of tongues. And they'll argue that they're justified in speaking in their own prayer language or tongue because there's diverse kinds of tongues. Uh, Unfortunately, the word kinds doesn't allow for that. Uh, Kinds, genos, okay, from which we get the word genus. Genos refers to a family, group, race, or nation. See where I'm going with this? Linguists refer to the language, to languages as families or groups. And that's Paul's point. Like we see in Revelation, John's writing Revelation, and he's speaking of uh, different nations, tribes, kindreds, peoples, tongues. Uh, Like we see in Revelation and many other places where the word tongues is accompanied with words like nations, tribes, kindreds, and peoples, Paul is describing real world languages. When he uses that word kinds, he's, I mean, he's tipping us off that he's talking about real families or groups of languages. This is something that is uh, tangible, something that you can say, yes, you know, you could record somebody speaking in tongues and run it through Google and say, ah, yeah, they're speaking in perfect German. You see what I'm saying? 
Uh, boy, that would be a really fun experiment, right? Get get an app on your phone, you know, kind of like Siri is able to understand what you're saying. Get an app and go into a hyper charismatic church and and record some of these people speaking, and just show them. I, I'm sorry, that's not a real language, unless you know. Of course, they're going to retreat back to that position of it must be an an angelic tongue or some kind of private prayer language. <sighs> which is then putting it in a realm where they feel that they have a lot more room to, to move and breathe. Because, I mean, at that point, you have to bring in a linguist who's going to try and decipher it. And um, those types of people are, are hard to find. So uh, remember in Acts chapter 2, Luke went on to even elaborate on just how many languages were being spoken at Pentecost. Okay, He went out of his way. These were real languages. Also, <clears throat> look how uh, Paul here follows up with to another diverse kinds of tongues. The next, uh, um, the next thing he says is to another the interpretation of tongues. That word interpretation, hermeneia. You know, we've talked about hermeneutics so many different times. We're talking about translating or interpreting. A real language here. Um, when Paul says some will have interpretations of tongues, again, he's talking about real interpretations of real languages. Uh, when someone works in the role of interpreter in the world, they interpret real languages. When an expert of an ancient language translates an ancient text, he's working with a real language. It might be a not. It might be a language that we don't know today, but he's still able, after hard work and study and using the 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 skills of his science, he is able then to piece it together, decipher it, and and be able to say, "Wait a minute, I now understand this language. It might have taken me many years, but I get it." Uh, and so, anyway, by the way. When you go into these hyper-charismatic churches, have you ever seen it where they actually have interpretations? It's very rare. You know, I, I actually have seen it, but it's very rare. And when, like I mentioned last week, when I did see these interpretation uh, interpretations, it actually damaged my faith at the time because it was laughable. I was looking at these people and they're going on and on for five minutes and they're acting like it's a word for word translation, even though the person before them that spoke in the tongue only said about three or four sentences. Um, it, it really did damage my faith in that area for a while. I, 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 that was when I really started questioning what is going on here? This can't be real. So, anyway. Going on to verse 11, this is again 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. But all these worketh that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Okay, so not everybody is going to speak in tongues. And again, that's assuming that, that tongues are even for today, which I don't buy into that. I, I uh, there might be a time in the in the end times where we're going to start seeing that happen again, but I haven't seen it. I'm sorry, I just haven't seen it. Um, I don't see any concrete scriptures that seem to suggest they are not for today, but I'm not seeing it. 
So some people will point at a particular scripture here that we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that seems to suggest that they are not for today. And that very well could be the correct interpretation of that verse. We'll get to that pretty soon. So anyway, um, what about the biblical motivation behind speaking in tongues? Okay, why should we speak in tongues? What would be the point of, of speaking in tongues? When we read in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and we see in chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul kind of goes down this road of speaking about the gifts. And uh, in, ver- in chapter 12, he's talking about the gifts, and all of a sudden, he just changes gears. And he starts talking about doing things in love. And then in chapter 14, he goes back to the gifts again. That's interesting. Most people will take ta- chapter 13 and it becomes kind of the wedding passage, uh, which I've officiated a few weddings and I used 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to talk about love. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great chapter. But when you read it in context, you see that there's a little bit more going on here. Paul starts talking about um, doing things in love. And in context, we're talking about the gifts believe it or not. We're talking about doing the stuff in love. Now, the Corinthians uh, were a very spirit-filled church, but um, as you see, as you read through the book of Corinthians, you see that uh, they were seeking and emphasizing the more showy gifts for their own selfish reasons. Uh, They were seeking the applause and admiration of, uh, of men, and now Paul, he launches into, into what the purpose of all these gifts is and how we should be using them. Again, assuming that gifts are for today, right? And so in, in verse 1, chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, hey, that's where that comes from. People bring up that they're speaking in an angelic tongue, tongue but have not love. I have become sounding brass, or a clanging symbol. Again, like I said, we're going to see Paul here going into this is how you do the gifts. Okay, it obviously obviously you Corinthians are walking in the gifts, but you're doing it all wrong. This should be your motivation, love. So though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging symbol. Now, stop right there too. Paul is giving when he talks about tongues of angels, he's giving a hypothetical situation here. As in, even if I do speak in the most lofty possible language you can think of, which, you know, would be some kind of angelic tongue, right? But I don't do it in love or for some kind of edification for the church. I'm no different than a noisy instrument. <laughs> I've got two girls, and uh, they are, are both trying to learn instruments, various instruments. My wife decided that, that just midlife, she decided she wanted to learn how to play drums. I get that. <laughs> I understand what chaos can come from an instrument when an unskilled person is playing it. Um, and that's Paul's point here. Even if I speak in the most amazing language, tongues of angels but I don't do it in love, I'm no different than just any other noisy instrument. Um, Now, unfortunately, most 
hypercharismatics will miss the entire point of this passage. They'll only focus on that phrase, tongues of angels. And they'll miss that this is not for their own glory, but they should be doing this in love. They should be doing this for others. But when you go into these hyper-charismatic circles, um, guys, never, ever, ever do you see them try to speak in tongues to an unbeliever who speaks another language for the purpose of sharing the gospel to them. No, they're not. I think deep down inside, they subconsciously know that's not going to work. Okay? Uh, But what you do see is all of a sudden in a church service, somebody will bust out in tongues. And um, ultimately, I, I hate to say this, and I speak again from experience, most of the time, there is almost this, um, hey, wow, look at me, I can speak in tongues attitude. It's more of edifying themselves and making themselves feel more spiritual, more empowered by the Holy Spirit more than anything. Um, and well, <laughs> so many times, and, and I know some of you will be vigorously nodding your head, so many times in these services, the entire congregation breaks out into in just into utter chaos and everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time. Nobody's interpreting. Uh, it, it's it's a mess. It's completely disorderly. And to be honest, it's embarrassing. I mean, if an unbeliever walks in at that moment and looks around and hears all the chaos, um, what? Are they going to walk out of there and say, wow, I want to know this God? Are they going to walk out of there going, these guys are nuts. This is exactly what my friends told me. I got to get out of here. So anyway, <laughs> you know, I knew I was going to rant a lot doing this series. I, you know, this kind of stuff gets me, it really gets me because I've experienced so much of it. And I know how it screws people up. Uh, most of the people that left that hyper charismatic church are no longer walking in the faith. Sad but true. And I think it's all from the same reasons. They got all hyped up. They were so into it. They're, you know, whoa, glory, you know, and they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit, allegedly, and falling down and twitching on the ground. And God's really doing some amazing work in their life and all these things. And then one day they just start looking around them and saying, you know what? I've been doing this for years and I've never seen a bona fide healing. I've never really 100% know for a fact I've been a part of healing somebody. I really don't know if I'm really speaking in another language um, because I know that I practice this and something just feels fake about it. And uh, these prophecies that I have uttered, I know for a fact many of them haven't come true. And boy, don't I feel silly. Like suddenly they just start doubting and next thing you know, they've left the faith altogether. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate on whether or not they were really saved to begin with. Uh, The whole Calvinism-Arminianism debate, whatever the case, you know, leave that one to the side for a minute. They've left the faith. They're not uh, walking as Christians anymore. So, yeah, either they were never saved to begin with or they left the faith. Whatever you want to say, they're not Christians. And it's, it's terrible. And uh, there is almost an anger, a hatred that that when you talk to them, you quickly get that impression. I will never go back. I don't want anything to do with it. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's just so damaging. These types of presumptuous doctrines that presuming that we've got some kind of amazing supernatural uh, God-given powers that, that we can run around and use. And then you come to find out you don't have any powers. Uh, have you ever seen a hyper-charismatic who claims to be a faith healer walk into a hospital and clean out the ER or walk into the morgue and raise some dead people? No. I mean, seriously, no. Why? Because deep down inside, they know it's a sham. Deep down inside, they know it won't work. It, it, that's the sad truth. And I know that hurts some people's feelings just now. I apologize. I really want to do this in love. But the fact is, they do know deep down inside it's not going to work. So moving on to verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Stop right there. Okay, remember the last ver verse where we talked about, though I speak with tongues of angels but have not love? Well, the hyper-charismatic wants to say, well, see, Paul was speaking in tongues of angels. The very next verse, he has a very par parallel thought. Again, speaking in a hypothetical. He talks about, so that I could remove mountains. Guys, has anybody ever been able to move a mountain other than God in a worldwide flood? Has anybody been able to move a mountain? No, no. <clears throat> I know people like Kenneth Copeland like to claim that they can, but have they? No. <laughs> Would Kenneth Copeland ever agree to stand in front of a camera and then have a mountain in the background and say, all right, guys, watch this. I'm going to prove once and for all that I have the power. <laughs> it, it won't happen. But Paul here, he's speaking in a, he's giving hypotheticals. Even if I do all these amazing things and I've got all the, uh, just the most outstanding, unbelievable power straight from the throne room of God, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though, moving on to verse three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Uh, notice that in these charismatic congregations, it's more about glorifying ourselves. It has nothing to do with evangelism. It has nothing to do with getting the gospel out to the world, uh, but rather it has everything to do with this, you know, look at me and how gifted and powerful I am. So many of these hyper-charismatic circles, they believe that God has given them the ability to prophesy, basically to tell the end from the beginning. Now, biblically speaking, the prophets were always out there, and when they would hear from the Lord, it wasn't anything like, well, I believe the Lord is saying to me now, or the Lord just spoke to me and this, that, and the other. No, when God spoke to them, it was flat out, concrete, audible. God just spoke, thus saith the Lord, I will say this on my life. This is what God said. By the way, the Old Testament, when somebody prophesied falsely, which 
happens in every hyper-charismatic congregation from every single person that claims to be prophesying, when there was a false prophecy in the Old Testament, you'd be taken out outside the camp and stoned. That's how God feels about false prophecy. But why aren't, why aren't these prophets, just like the Bible, um, going to world leaders and prophesying to them? Thus saith the Lord, this is what the Lord flat out told me. Why? Why not? Because they deep down inside know that it isn't real. They know that they're not prophesying. They want, you know, they have this fantasy. They want it to be real. And they, you know, they, they believe they're hearing the voice of God. But deep down inside, they know, they know this is not real. That there's something, an element of make-believe that's going on here. Why don't we see people who are speaking in tongues going to other countries and being used to speak real foreign languages for the purposes of sharing the gospel? Why? Because they're not speaking in tongues, guys. I'm sorry. It's, it's sad. It's embarrassing. But that's what's happening. They're not really speaking in tongues. Let's move on to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Okay? You get the point. Paul goes on and on in chapter 13 saying, look, even if we do all these great things and we have all of this power, but we don't do it for love, for the purposes of edifying and building up the church and seeking out the lost, doing this in love, then it's nothing. It's useless. Uh, how many hyper-charismatic congregations would fall just on that right there? If they could just understand that. So going on to verse four, or, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Oh, Mike. <laughs> Did... Did you not catch that in verse 2? Speaketh not unto men, but unto God. That's where you get a lot of um, people claiming that this is a private prayer language. This is us who are just speaking to God. Again, that doesn't line up with Acts chapter 2 at all whatsoever. Acts chapter 2 made it very clear and obvious that these were real languages. Um but yeah, some charismatics will argue that tongues are their personal prayer language, um, as in it's a real language that only God understands, okay? So it's kind of hard to test, right? You almost have to have a linguist come in and really decipher it. Uh, they use this scripture to support that argument. Uh, and, but again, is that what this text is, is teaching? Is it saying that when we speak in tongues, we're only speaking mysteries, a language that is not verifiable on earth, but only to God. Uh, no. Uh, guys, and again, keep in mind, everybody's got their own gibberish. And like I've said before, it's not complex. It's the same. You, you look at any hyper-charismatic's tongue and listen to them long enough, and you'll find that they've only got, at best, and I mean the best of the best out there, only have about a paragraph's worth of content, if you will. 
And then after that, it's just recycled and sometimes repurposed. You know, uh, a couple words in tongues are transposed and mixed around, but it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. Uh, languages are robust. You know, if somebody listened to me right now and couldn't speak a lick of English and they listened to me, uh, yeah, it would still sound like gibberish, but they would obviously be able to tell that it's a real language. There is information behind what I'm saying and not just stringing together random syllables. It would just be flat out obvious. Also keep in mind, when, when you see these people who will claim that it is a private prayer language, they're still very um, happy to do it publicly and also in very chaotic situations in, in church where suddenly everybody breaks out in a tongue. I've heard pastors repeatedly uh, in various services say everybody speak in tongues. Well, that's in complete opposition to what we're about to read as we get further in chapter 14, where, where Paul actually gives some commands on how to handle these things. A, a lot of times when you see people speaking in tongues, it's done in a very irreverent way. So going on to verse 3, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Okay, wait a minute. Ed edifieth himself. Wait, if you speak in a tongue, you're edifying yourself. Uh, the message in this chapter is that the gifts are for God's glorification, not ours. Also, we should be doing all this in love, not selfishness. So speaking in tongues without an interpretation is utterly useless to the entire congregation. And again, where would the charismatics be if they actually understood this? How would their services look? They wouldn't be able to do all the chaotic things if they understood that when you do these types of things in church, what you're doing, you're not edifying the church. All you're doing is building yourself up. And uh, this concept of edifying yourself, we'll come back to that here really soon. Verse 5, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifications. See, tongues should have an interpretation. If they do, then the people will be edified, Right? Tongues always seem to be very, um, what am I trying to say? They, they're very similar to prophecy in that uh, God is speaking through you. You have no idea what you're saying. You need an interpreter to understand what you're saying. Uh, so if you speak in tongues in church, no one's going to have a clue what you're saying unless there's somebody there that speaks that language. Um, unless there's somebody who can interpret so that the whole church can be edified. And then Paul goes on in verse 6, Now, brethren, if I come in unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. And even things with, without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, 
how shall it be known what is piped or harped, right? It's like somebody who has no clue how to play an instrument is trying to play an instrument. It's just total chaos. It's noise. In other words, what's the point of tongues in church if nobody has a clue what you're saying? And in verse 8, For if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Uh, when somebody sounds a shofar, there, there are so many different styles of shofar. You know, the shofar is that ram's horn. When the Bible talks about a trumpet, they're usually talking about the shofar. And there were so many different shofar blasts that it was almost like a miniature language in and of itself. There was information behind those trumpet blasts. There were trumpet blasts that meant we're under attack, prepare for war. There were trumpet blasts that meant, hey, come to the temple. It's time for a sacrifice. Trumpet blasts that signified the beginning of a feast. Blasts that would signify the end of a feast. Blasts that would announce that the king was about to say something. You know, a blast that would announce the king is coming. You know, all these types of things, right? But here we're seeing that, uh, yeah, these trumpet blasts had meaning. There was information behind it. But if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, like somebody has no clue what they're doing and they just make some squeaks out of a shofar, how are you supposed to know what it means? Likewise... You hear somebody speaking in tongues, it's useless to you unless somebody's there to interpret, okay? And we should be doing these things, again, in love for edification for those around us. So verse 9, so likewise, ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds, there's that word kinds again, genos, kinds of voices in the world. Notice how he's putting that together in context. We're talking about different families of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Wow. I mean, how much, guys, even Paul is making it clear that these tongues are real languages. He's mentioning kinds, genos, families, voices in the world, he says, just like at Pentecost. We're talking about real languages, guys. In verse 11, therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. I I have no idea what you're saying. Uh, In other words, You would be a stranger to me with an unknown message. Utterly useless, okay? Uh, At that point, you're just spinning your wheels and you're almost just pointing arrows back at yourself and saying, yeah, that's right. I've got the Holy Spirit. Look at me. And so verse 12, even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. There you go. There it is. Um. Verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. And so, yeah, some charismatics will use this verse to say that they have their own private prayer language. But Paul refutes that idea as he makes it very clear that we should pray with understanding. Right? This isn't... 
This, okay, right here in verse 14, we see that even saying that this is a private prayer language is utterly refuted when Paul is saying, guys, we should be praying with understanding. So therefore, (laughs) if anybody claims that tongues are not real world, world languages, but rather it's some private prayer language, they're still not following biblical guidelines because we should be praying with our mind. We should be engaged. We should be petitioning our father, our father in real words that we understand and he understands. So verse 15, what is it then? I will, pr- I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with what? With understanding also. Uh, he goes on, I will sing with the Spirit and what? I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? Okay, how many times have you seen in these environments, you know, corporate prayer where uh, somebody is speaking in tongues? Nobody has a clue what they're saying. This again, this is one more proof that there is no such thing as a private prayer language. Verse 17, for thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. How be it in malice be children, but in understanding be men. Verse 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak unto this people. And yet for all that will, they not hear me. And yet for all that will, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Okay, right here, um, this is yet another proof that we're talking about a real verifiable world language. He's making reference to... uh, Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. And in this uh, scripture, other tongues and lips is referring to a real world language, the Assyrian language. (laughs) So again, guys, again, there's no escaping this. We're talking about a real, translatable, verifiable language, something that's really a language. Uh, Again, so... Going on to verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Okay, hold on a second. Do we have a Bible contradiction here? Uh, Because here it says that tongues are not for believers, yet we already read back in verse 4 of this chapter 14, it says that tongues edifies Uh, the individual. So what is it? Is this a Bible contradiction? No. Paul is saying that when someone speaks in in tongues in church and there's no interpretation, the only one that's getting anything at all out of it is the person who's speaking. Okay? He's the only one that's getting something. And only in the sense that he's, he's stroking his own pride. Right? 
but biblically speaking in tongues is for the purposes of sharing God's word and the gospel with people whose languages you can't actually speak naturally. Okay? So when it says that um, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, well, duh, yeah. I mean, if you're able to go to another country, let's say you you know end up in some weird tribe in a, a remote part of the world that pretty much everybody in the tribe knows that anybody from the outside is not going to be able to speak their language. And you show up and you're like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you speak in their language, their jaw is going to hit the floor. And those unbelievers are going to see that there's something really big going on here. And at that point, you know what? They're going to want to hear your message. Biblically speaking, you know, when we see what happened there in the book of Acts at Pentecost, that was God's stamp of approval on the message that the apostles were bringing. This was God saying to the Jews, guys, you just missed your Messiah. My Holy Spirit is with these guys. These, these ones who are trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of the one you killed. I am with them. And I am showing you that my, my power is being made evident in their lives. My stamp of approval is now on their message. Hear them. Listen to what they have to say and, and trust in the Messiah that you missed. Right? Okay, so going on into verse 23. If therefore the whole church can come, church, be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, unlearned as in they don't know that language, right? Uh, or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there are come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, and he is judged of all. As in he sees and hears them prophesying, and at this point we're assuming that they're prophesying uh, really through the Holy Spirit, and not just making stuff up and presuming that God is speaking in their ear, right? Um, someone's going to walk in, they're going to hear this, and they're going to walk out with goosebumps saying, I believe I just encountered a very supernatural situation and I really need to think this through. I might need to rethink my life and I might need to spend some time on my knees tonight repenting in front of the God that I've offended my entire life. So going on to verse 25, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. <laughs> Amen. Notice uh, you know, the practical nature of what he's saying here. If we all come together and speak in tongues when there is no interpretation, we are not only wasting our own time, but if, if an unbeliever comes in, They'll think we're nuts and we'll be wasting their time. And there's a chance that we might actually turn them off for the rest of their life. That they won't want to hear the gospel at that point because they're going to think we're all a bunch of nuts. Right? That's why I get so bent out of shape when I, I see and hear really respectable men. Men that I love. Men that I'll even quote on this podcast. Good apologists. Great Bible teachers. And then they'll lend credibility to TBN and go on that TV program. I, it just makes me want to pull my hair out. Because they're lending credibility to utter nonsense. And here we've got this 
incredibly rich TV station because people are tuning in and non-believers bored some night sitting around flipping channels and they land on some goofball show where a guy's going hum num 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 and they're saying some weird tongue okay and making complete idiots of themselves in front of a camera what does that do that often will shut the door these people don't want to hear you anymore now they think we're crazy So, going on into verse uh, 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edification. In other words, what's the conclusion of this whole argument? This whole argument that started in chapter 12, what is the conclusion? Let all things be done to edify. What's your motivation behind edifying? Love. We do this in love and humility for the purposes of edification. Um, And then here we go on to verse 27. We hear a command from Paul on how tongues should be used. And as we go through this, I want to, I, you know, all of you ask yourself if you've ever seen any charismatic group follow these commands, okay? So again, we're going to look at some commands directly associated with speaking in tongues. Ask yourself if you've ever seen a charismatic group follow these, okay? Some of you might have, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that the vast, vast, vast majority of you have never seen this in play. So, um, verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at most by three and that by course and let one interpret. In other words, one at a time and no more than three people in a particular uh, service. Okay. But if there be no interpreter, Let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Okay. Oh, my. And so, uh, you know, to to wrap that up in a nice, neat little package, John MacArthur in his book, Strange Fire, says it this way. He says, uh, in those verses, Paul provided several stipulations for the use of tongues. One, no more than three people should speak during the church services. Uh, every service I've been to, fail. Okay? Two, they should speak one at a time. Every service I've been to, well, okay, save a few of them. There's been fail. Three, their message must be translated for the edification of the congregation. In most instances, fail. That doesn't happen. Four, if no one was able to interpret, they should remain silent. (laughs) Fail. (laughs) That never happens. Man, you know, if, if we, if the church, the hyper-charismatic church, was just simply to sit down and look at those stipulations and follow them, Paul called them a command. Um, hmm. And again, this, this is Paul writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul, the one who has been through so much, and we see clearly that God really was working in his life. Uh, in a very Holy Spirit-empowered way, calls this a command, shouldn't we really take that seriously? Even if you do believe tongues are for today, that doesn't happen. Again, I think that's evidence that these aren't really biblical tongues. 
And so verse 29, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits, oh, check this out. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Hmm, what's going on there? Well, in other words, the prophet has control of himself. How many times have you witnessed somebody on one of these hyper-charismatic TV shows or in some church service completely lose control of themselves? Uh, some of them will start acting drunk. Some of them will act like they're stoned. Some of them will bark like dogs, roar like lions. I mean, it's, guys, it's embarrassing. I mean, just embarrassing. If an unbeliever walked in at that moment and saw that nonsense, what would they think? Um, but no, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, the prophets have control of themselves. At no point at which do they flop over on the ground and start twitching. This whole idea of being slain in the spirit is not biblical. It's not. I, I've even asked one of my old pastors, where in the Bible do you see somebody being slain in the spirit? He was not able to give me one instance. He showed me a couple instances where people were uh, knocked down by the Lord. But guess what? Every last one of them fell on their face. And they were trembling, not because they were being overcome by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and they're twitching on the ground. No, they were on their face trembling in fear. They were terrified in the presence of the Lord. I've never seen that in a hyper-charismatic service. When they go down, they all got great big smiles on their face and they're flopping around on the ground and they're on their back. There's no biblical uh, uh, foundation for any of that stuff. We are not to lose control. We have full control of ourselves when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Uh, again, that would be assuming <clears throat> that these hyper-charismatics really are experiencing the Holy Spirit, which they're not. I, I firmly believe they're not. There is no fruit that is good that comes from it. It is all bad fruit. And so, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion. See what, he, see what Paul follows this up with? You, the, the verse before, verse 32, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And then he goes on in verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Then he goes on to something that is very controversial. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not per permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in church. Uh, what does he mean by that? Well, the word here that's translated speak, laeo, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, did not mean to chatter in Koine Greek. The same word is used of God in verse 21 of this chapter and in Hebrews chapter 1.1. It actually means to speak authoritatively, okay? Women are not supposed to they're not supposed to teach, okay? It's okay. I, there's no problem with women teaching children. Uh, why does God make that stipulation in the scriptures? I have no idea. I have no idea. And I don't think any uh, Bible teacher out there will be able to give you an authoritative answer on that. I don't know why. 
okay? It doesn't feel good in this modern, politically correct um, culture. It doesn't. Um, but, but I think God has given all of us gifts, okay? Men have particular skills that women do not have, and vice versa. Women have some abilities that men will never have. And men who try to have these abilities that women have, or vice versa, I think are, are wasting their time. And I think that we should recognize the skills and abilities that each have. Recognize them and honor them. It's wonderful that God has made us different. Uh, praise God that women are different from men. And if we were all the same, uh, I, I don't I don't think that we would make good teams. We would not make... Uh, a good match when men and women come together in marriage. It's just, no, no. So, uh, you know, yeah, the Bible doesn't really explain why, but I don't think it's something really to get hung up on. Uh, whatever the case, (laughs) what's, I suppose, kind of interesting, uh, as well is this is another one of those verses that is completely ignored by most hyper charismatic churches. The one that I attended, uh, the pastor's wife, she was up there. She would give uh, a, a mini sermonette every single Sunday, along with the pastor's sermon. Uh, and, and so, yeah, how many of these churches are allowing women to teach and to speak authoritatively? Again, in the face of what the Holy Spirit has said here through Paul. Uh, verse 36, what? Came the word of God unto out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Okay? <laughs> but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Ah, okay, so so many in, in these groups well, throw this in your face. I've had it thrown in my face so many times. You should not forbid these people to speak in tongues. Why don't they make a big deal about the rest of the passage here? Where Paul is calling these things commands. Why aren't they following these? It's, it's a picking and a choosing. Forbid not to speak in tongues. Okay, I won't. But I will ask you to speak in biblical tongues, which would be a real verifiable, translatable, real-world language, something that's real. So verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. And of course, how many times have you seen that these services are complete chaos? There is no decency. There's no uh, order in any of this. And again, it makes us look silly. Okay, When people come in who are not believers... They see a bunch of people, it looks, I mean, it looks like a bunch of people who are playing make-believe and acting like some miraculous things are happening when nothing really is happening. And they all leave the same people. You run into these same people years later and you find that nothing has changed in their life. They haven't grown in the Lord at all. They haven't uh, um, increased in any kind of real power. None of them have walked in the hospitals and cleaned them out. Nobody's really raised the dead. No one's really healed somebody. By the way, I, I don't deny that God heals people today. I don't believe that people have the gift of healing. Uh, we believers are supposed to crowd around those who are sick and to pray for them 
and that's good. And God in his providence sometimes chooses to heal them. Uh, I've, I've experienced this. I've seen this. But it's not for the glory or to the glory of any particular person who prayed. And that person, you know, if, if I go and pray for somebody and they end up getting healed, praise God, that is so cool. But that doesn't mean I have the gift of healing. That doesn't mean I have the X-Men power and I can just walk into a hospital and clean it out. I'm sorry, that's not what it means. But that's what many of these uh, faith healers will teach, okay? Um, so anyway, that that is our verse-by-verse verse through a couple chapters in Corinthians. Um, don't you see? I mean, isn't it obvious at this point? We're talking about real languages. This is not just gibberish. This is not, oh, I'm speaking a language that only God understands, uh, and, and Paul himself says, if you're going to pray, pray with your understanding anyway. All right, guys. So we've seen that biblically tongues are real languages. They're real languages. Uh, and that, um, <clears throat> yes, if you really did have the gift of tongues, you could pray in that tongue. But then Paul goes on to say, but don't, because you want to pray with understanding. All right, so it's not a private prayer language. So when Paul says, uh, speaks of a private prayer language, he's not talking about that, okay? Because he already tells you, don't pray without understanding, okay? We also see that um, there are specific commands, parameters, stipulations that you should follow when somebody is speaking in tongues. Uh, and again, it must be a real language. But even so, none of these hypercharismatic circles even follow these stipulations. Okay, the whole thing's a mess. And whenever you hear somebody saying, you know, I can speak in tongues, or you hear somebody speaking in tongues, now you're going to know um, it's not biblical. It's not biblical unless they can really speak in another world language that they've never spoken before, they've never heard before, they've never learned before, I should say, not heard. Um, now, conversely, there are some potential dangers of speaking in tongues, uh, what we see in hyper-charismatic circles, okay? Not the biblical version of tongues, but now we're talking about speaking in this fake version of tongues that we see in many of these circles. Um, charismatics will often claim that there's all these benefits to tongues, but none of them are bit biblical. At best, uh, the charismatic is taken away with adrenaline and hype and is imagining that they're really speaking in tongues, yet others know that they're faking it and they're well aware that they're faking it. Uh, you know, this whole idea of fake it until you make it. Okay, that, that damages one faith, a person's faith. When you know you're faking it deep down inside, you start realizing you're a fraud and it, it, it will eat away at you and eventually um, it will bear fruit. Okay, but Going on here, New Agers and pagans have been speaking in ecstatic, gibberish-like speech, guys, as far back as you want to go. Okay, there is a form of tongues that are spoken by Satanists. Uh, voodoo witch doctors have various types of tongues. Mormons claim that they speak in tongues. There's even pockets of Catholicism that are very charismatic that claim that they can speak in tongues. But when people do this, when Christians do this, they're making us, I mean, they make Christianity look silly. Not only that, it puts 
an emphasis on chasing gifts and experiences. Guys, and I've, I've mentioned this so many times in past, there, we should not be chasing after experiences, okay? We should be chasing after the knowledge of God and trying to get the gospel out to the world. I, I was in a charismatic church for I don't even know how many years. I, I, I don't know. And I probably, every time I mention this, I give you a different number. I don't know. It was probably about eight years, five to eight years, something like that. <clears throat> Maybe 10 years. I don't, it was a long time. <laughs> and I, the whole time, nobody was seeking after knowing God's word and understanding what he wants from us and trying to take that to the world. Every Sunday they would show up and it was, what can God do for me? What kind of experience can I have with God this week? It wasn't, what can I do for God? It was, what can you, God, do for me? I want an experience. I want to have a feeling. I want to flop around on the ground and feel some heat in my arms. I want to experience giving birth. Yeah, you heard me right. I want to give birth to something in the spirit. Women falling on the ground and breathing like they're having a child and moaning and screaming like they're giving birth to something. Oh, can you imagine what an unbeliever would think if they walked in and saw a woman on the ground in a birthing position giving birth to imaginations? It's, it's embarrassing. It's, this stuff is dangerous. When you jump into this realm of make-believe and intermingle it with real Christianity, it can't bear good fruit. It's not going to get anybody saved. And when people do allegedly come to faith, chasing after these things, sooner or later, later down the road in life, when they realize that there's something wrong and that they've been living a lie this whole time, they walk away from the faith and they never look back. How many people do you know who've walked away from the faith because of this stuff? I know a lot. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who have done just that. It's sad. It's tragic. And so this is very dangerous stuff. I will stop here. I've gone way past. That's okay. I know you guys like it when I go long anyway, so it's not a big deal. Um, so there you go, guys. But whatever the case, uh, that is the series on tongues. I'll probably be coming back to visit some of these other hyper-charismatic gifts uh, later on. I would like to do a series on uh, biblical healing what that really looks like, what it doesn't look like, and these types of things. You know, get into what biblical prophesying looks like versus what we see in the hyper-charismatic movements. But uh, I'm probably done in this area for a little while. Probably get back to some other subjects that you guys are used to and like. <laughs> but anyway, with that, thanks for listening. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Sing it out loud, declaration.